0: educators about research and practice for episode 16 i'm joined by one teacher and two university teacher educators to discuss the late kathy ennis and colleagues 1999 paper creating a sense of family in urban schools using the sport for peace curriculum from research quarterly for exercise and sport we begin with an around the table discussion over to you michael
1: great so I think this week's paper and, and blog certainly paid homage to the late great uh, Kathy Ennis and, and colleagues uh, for her work and, and rest in peace, uh, Dr. Ennis. I think taking a step back before we um, take a dive into to the sport for peace topic um, and really understand what are the specific challenges that urban schools face and really what is the premise uh, for developing a new pedagogy um, that was a little bit of a, a cross or a addition to the sport education curriculum model. Um, that seed and top had had really made uh, popular. And so as a professional in the an urban school district, um, you know, urban schools location and, and unique population present know, particular challenges in developing social affiliation and student achievement. So poverty certainly has something to do with that as well, um, and the optimism that students have for achieving academically. And I think the the pandemic certainly has had a reciprocal effect and and a negative effect on that as well, combining with the. Uh, determinants of of urban education. So some of the challenges in particular with with urban education and PE coming in at it from a practitioner's point of view um, would be the limited facilities and equipment that that we could uh, be. Uh, limited by um, the lack of instructional time that certainly has had a impact on student learning and disengage students and, and unsupportive uh, administration in that so sports for peace i think was a, a aim to create favorable results within the most difficult conditions uh, within an urban environment and we know that Teachers that have a high level of certification um, are primary correlative student achievement and engagement. So making that connection uh, relevant for those teachers and creating favorable results for conditions in an urban environment. So there's the three phases that, that struck me uh, was that you know, phase one, the student perceptions, um accurately reflect the challenges that many urban schools face with the disparity between males and females and the competitiveness that um, has taken place in physical education Uh, going back to the activist approach that we spoke about last time and understanding that students especially low, low low skilled learners had a difficult experience when high skilled learners were basically taking over the class in a competitive way and the female participation uh, negatively was um, impacted by that. So I was really um, taken aback and and struck by the uh, process that went into this, the three phase process, modifying um, from the sport education model and creating student <laughs> engagement for, you know, students in a different way by giving them roles. Um, so that's just my opening thoughts and and I'm going to uh, turn my lights back on here. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think it's worth saying for anyone listening that uh, Michael's, uh, the lights in his classroom have just gone, gone, gone out so we now have to move around a little bit to make it happen. <laughs> um, so.
2: Do you want to? Anyone want
0: to pick up on that? Go ahead, Al.
3: I think my response to your blog and the paper, uh, Ash, was away from the the model itself, if we can call it a model, um, and and more to the um, the idea about reform um, and the ideals of reform and whether reform works or not and it 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 made me think to what david kirk wrote in p futures what over 20 years ago that really the three futures are radical reform more of the i don't want to
0: age david too much but it was only 2009 so 20 years is a little
3: bit oh yeah (laughs) a (laughs) decade um uh this paper was 20 years wasn't it just over 20 years um and we've got things like this uh that would provide an answer to reform uh and then that made me think so it's not that we don't have answers to reform it must be the way we're doing reform um and i think that was explained really well uh that It it was done with the teachers and the students in the school and not to them. It was done in phases. It was done with patience. It was done over time. Uh, They were uh, a resource for the teachers to help them make the changes that they needed within their local context and That that was the main thing that I took away from the blog in the paper about reform and how do we reform?
2: Ah, thanks, Alex. Uh, You know, I I think I want to carry on with uh, Alex's sentiments because that's some of the major talking points that I garnered from the blog and uh, the article itself. You know, uh, certainly uh, thank you to Michael for um, paying tribute to Dr. Ennis as well. The article was written in 1999 and. um, You know, the author of the blog references how. We have been molded by many visionaries and scholars and PE and includes quite a bevy of fantastic, uh, profound scholars, and I might add to that list, Casey himself, and Becky, and of course the one and only I am Sporticus, and um, uh, to to, uh, to uh, who have also molded me um, in this discussion. But the thing that I come back to is what Alex mentioned: 1999. This article was written, and Dr. Ennis was referring to precarity. In 1999, so going back to what Dr. Kirk has just published about precarity now and what we're dealing with, not only from the pandemic itself, but prior to the pandemic, the precarity that he has studied, this precarity has been going on in urban schools uh, for quite some time. And um, this sport for peace model, if you want to call it that, to to quote to Alex, a uh, uh, is you know certainly one answer or one possible resolution. Um, you know, uh, Ash and uh, has talked has done a lot of research on models and and uh, talking about hybridization and and the uh, the architectures of these models and um, you know the main idea and the elements and the aspirations for sport for peace are designed specifically to address that precarity. Um, I think that cannot be overlooked, Um, but the but the disturbing thing about it is this was in 1999 and now it's 2021 and uh, we're still here discussing the architectures of Sport for Peace and others alike. And I think I'm sure Ash will talk about the hybridization of the model of sport ed and TPSR and peace education together. Um, that's an inter- interesting discussion. I, I agree with him, and I'm sure he'll mention the fact that this model, is it It might it may be truly a hybrid because there may be aspects of each of these models that do not take a back seat, which I think Ash has written about himself. So those are my initial comments for now.
0: There's no pressure then. Um, so I think that... I mean, taking on all of these points, I think it's some really interesting ideas. Um and I think we need to know more about terminology doesn't always help us, I guess. You know, in terms of an urban school, from a UK perspective, I think Alex and I would suggest that I might be an inner city school or a deprived school. So it's almost a nice way of saying that, you know, this is a this is a, a poorly funded um probably poor infrastructure, school, um, potentially uh, aging um, buildings and aging facilities, uh, aging stock in terms as they might describe it, which we might recognize as well in, 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 a, you know, in urban schools in or uh, inner city schools in, in, in the UK. Um, and it, interestingly, it reminds me in terms of, you know, you talk about limited facilities and lack of opportunity. And it took me straight back to um, the Ford Teaching Project project in the 1960s, which was the work of of, um, uh, Lawrence Stenhouse and um, John Evans—not John Evans, that would be somebody else—John Elliott, um, and the work they did there around the disillusionment of children in the humanity, what they call humanities project. So when they they knew when they got to a certain age that they weren't going into further education, they weren't going on to, you know, 16 plus qualifications, they weren't going to go to university, they were going to the, they were going down the road to the factory, and they were going to go work in the factory. And they became very difficult to teach humanities to because they didn't want to know about the history and geography and, and, and religious studies, because it had no relevance they perceived to their processes. So, um Stenhouse you know with colleagues acknowledged that there needed to be a a, a revisioning of what it meant and, and I think there's a lot here in terms of um Ennis and colleagues um as you say the late um Kathy Ennis um who my claim to fame with Kathy is the first time she ever cited me she described me as she so that's having a girl's name is really important in the you know in these instances um so, but she did uh, contact me directly to write the chapter in in the Routledge handbook, and and was, uh, you know, was a was a. I've met her on, on a few occasions, and this to me is when I've, I've read it a number of times, and I think it's a really. I do think it's a hybrid. So, you know, the argument around here, which I don't want to get into because it's taking away from this, is that when you put two models together, there is there is a tension over in a given sit, 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 sit situation do you want the cooperation inherent in cooperative learning or do you want the competition inherent in sport education and which one gives so having a just putting two models together is a, is quite quite a crude way of thinking it. it needs to be a much more complex negotiation of of which aspect would take precedent in a in a in a different in a different time and i I don't get a sense of the conflict around those ideas that were here um i do i am concerned however that we've lost thought for peace because i i can't find the the model so what they did we we seem to have lost and i think that's part of the the problem here is we have we had a solution but somebody forgot to write it down in a way that we you know we could access it and I think that's a real shame. So if anyone listens to this and has any idea where I might pick up, you know, some of the foundational work around Sport for Peace, I'd be really interested because I think it is a pedagogical model, but it's it's just the outline. It's a sketch. We only know it through the responses of the individuals in this paper and through this paper. which I think is a real challenge I think you, would, you you can't even backward engineer it I don't think because there isn't enough detail in the paper to tell you how to do that but what it does show is that the you know the the combination of of the tpsr and the sport education when it is given to the district when it's given to the schools has the potential and that come back down to lo- to local agency um, and it, there's clearly a lot of a lot of responsibility for the school and the administrators. And again, we come down to the the, um, the privileged position of university academics in a school environment just to pave the way for change with schools because of the perceptions of knowledge and understanding understanding that that this is a workable solution because somebody with a phd has walked in the door and say that it might work and 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 we we need to be in a position to, to 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 use that perception to support teachers to develop and i think that's really important and 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 we we see when there are when you look at lots of the and i have done looked at lots of the models-based practice literature when university staff work with teaching staff there are very positive results um and it's working about ways of of making that possible without having to go into every school it's just not the capacity to do to do do, to do to do that so we need to flip it so that i don't don't know i'm going to stop there so (laughs)
2: Well I can add um, Ash I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and 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 kind of taken it to the angle of of Pete programs cuz I did start thinking about you know th- this model and trying to make a connection to Pete programs and I'm and the thing that I keep on coming back to is n- 1999 and all of you will chuckle you know 20 plus years ago, and a model that has some success, and here in 2021, and so the, what, what am I, where am I going with this? I think I'm going, we've talked about this, Ash, before on other podga- podcast podcasts about fluency, pedagogical fluency. You know, uh, you've mentioned residual teaching or residual coaching. There are a lot of forces and tensions, as Alex might say, that that are in play here when a teacher candidate goes into, you know, goes into induction uh, into the profession. And, you know, I use the terminology, I use the uh, the analogy you you have to be able to dream in the new language. And we're trying to teach a new language of curriculum and PE. Uh, and it, it, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of extenuating forces. Uh, that that are um, reverting or pressuring again the, the the teacher, the teacher candidate, the inductive uh, teacher into multi-activity, into the same old thing, and that's where um, uh, you know you even identified in the blog a quote about the teacher in power, the teacher that does not want to uh, disrupt the aggressive behavior there's a there's there's a power relationship there that I think we have to consider. We have to if we have any chance of changing you know models or changing the multi-activity predominance, it, it has to it has to be organic throughout. And that's what I that that's one of the major points that I wrote down from today uh, from the blog and and the article itself.
1: Wow, I mean uh, there's a lot to consider there for sure. And one of the the major things that I took away from the Sport for Peace, you know, if you want to call it hybridized model, is the trust between the different ability levels in in students that oftentimes you do not find in other traditional multi-activity sport models where the high-level learner takes over the class, um, exerts their, uh, if you will, power. Um, and the low-level skilled students are left by the wayside and are disenfranchised and therefore are not engaged. So, you know, trust generates commitment and, you know, commitment fosters teamwork, as the research indicated. Then teamwork ultimately deliver these results because the the pre and post interviews from the students that were um, involved in this process were empowered through um, coaching, being a coach, um, understanding how to lead. And that leadership is is a powerful force within within a class. And certainly I want to respond to Ash and and Clancy as well um, on the local level. And some of the things that I think about is, you know, you mentioned where has this gone? Where has sport for peace went? It seems to have fallen by the wayside because when you walk into school and and, and physical education in in the local area, you don't see uh, sport for peace. You see uh, a multi-activity sport model and Ash, you certainly have a, a lot more experience than than me with you know partnering with schools and school districts and my question would be to you uh, certainly in the research and in the, in the literature it has had positive results as you had alluded to but is there a resistance or even an arrogance from school districts to say That what we're doing is working, we're delivering results and we're apprehensive to partner with PEAT programs or researchers to make that change that could lead to an initial instability. So that's what what I think about when um, I I see this sport for peace kind of fallen by the wayside and and the multi-activity sports model certainly having a, reoccurring influence and in, in local levels. I think that.
0: I mean, I, I personally have, you know, if I've never had a school, if I turn around and said, oh, you know, I'd like to come and, and sort of support this, I, I personally, and I've done, you know, many, many, but I've never had a school turn around and say, no, we don't want your help. We don't want your help or support, which is offered in that way. So I think that's that would be the first. Kind of point. We don't really have school districts anymore. There's a lot of autonomy within individual schools and departments. I guess the time when it changes, we have a um, academy trust system over here, where um, they're almost semi-corporate, private, public. They're a bit of a, you know, they're a bit of all things really, um, which are taking responsibility for multiple schools. I think the biggest trust is about. 43 schools. It could be bigger now, I might be wrong, but that's probably the closest to a district, but they could be lying in, you know, nationally in lots of different places. So, um, but I, th- and I was thinking you have kind of said this. So one of the things, one of the problems here was unsupportive administration. And I think that's, that's a real key. So um, I'm currently working with, um, just started working with a school. Um, and we're going to do a, a, an exploration of you know model models-based implementation with them and what it takes to move from an aspiration to a well hopefully a reality but we'll see. Um, and one of the things I wanted to have in place before we even started was support from the administration so from the head teacher the principal teacher from the the line managers all the way through the system down to the the, the, the you know the the teachers themselves so that the school was buying into the whole approach and I think that's what Ennis did here is that there was a an approach across districts but also with the administrators so I think it's really important that there is a connection between here and I think that's where the 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 knowledge and understanding of the ivory tower almost of the the university professor allows that conversation to occur at that level where there's almost a there's almost a, a glass ceiling you can't get beyond the administrator you can't do it you can't necessarily meaningfully change and individual change within a teacher and their practice is certainly possible and that's I mean that's what I did in my school I was the only person in my school who used a models-based approach out of four teachers but I think it would have been much easier if we'd have all Bought into it, and if I'd have had support from middle management and senior management, so administrators in that in that regard, either and particularly at the you know at the school level, which is the local level, um, but but I think there's another point here, and it and it's it comes out in this quote, which I absolutely thought was the best thing, um, if I can now find it, is yeah. Um, Instead, they earned respect through thoughtful decision making, effective teaching, and positive support for every player. Furthermore, both low and high-skilled players appeared to acknowledge two kinds of respect: respect for self, which high school, high-skilled pupils had and low-skilled pupils learned, and respect for others, which the high, which the low-skilled pupils had, but high-skilled players had to learn. And that to me was changing what it meant to be successful in PE so the respect was what it was to be successful it wasn't the skill and that's a big shift so still skill performance still engaging in these aspects but it was the respect that was the the key outcome um and I was reading something today in in next next weeks blog where they talk about if 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 the outcome of the lesson is communication then you you reward good communication you don't necessarily hi- you highlight good communication you don't necessarily highlight good skill and when you when we if we begin to change what it means to be successful in pe then we need to find new approaches to 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 achieve those because it's not possible within the multi-skilled uh, sport multi-activity sports technique-based approach if we're valuing different things within PE.
2: I picked up on that too, Ash. Uh, the uh, one part of the article where the highly skilled student in PE recognized that not only should I be able to earn a a good grade in PE, but so should the other students? And I think that speaks to what you're referring to. That's that's excellent.
1: Yeah, I think that um, the. Highly skilled students. In this sport for peace model. Were unable. To gain respect through their dominant play, through their skills, and you typically associate a high-skilled learner trying to gain respect with their peers and even their teachers through skill application instead of teaching and positive peer support that they are providing for the students in their class. And so that's that's powerful that 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 came, that relationship and that dynamic came out of this interaction that the high level students in the class. Almost were. Looking out for others before they looked out for their themselves and they valued physical education not from their ability in the psychomotor domain, but their ability to lead and lead out and provide modeling for their peers. And it took time, of course, this, this takes time. And at first, as the paper mentioned, the high-skilled learners were apprehensive uh, to adapt to this curriculum. And it took time and they were not always You know, we're not always afforded time in the field to to make these adaptations because of the instability that that might occur from that. And whether it could be a a fear of change or a. Just played out, don't want to change and and everything's okay, uh, Being comfortable, being uncomfortable is something that I think uh, we need to go through in creating a culturally responsive curriculum, especially in the urban um, schools for sure. And lastly, I would say that from PEAT programs to becoming a professional, the individual teacher has a unique perspective on the instruction that they deliver coming right out of programs with their experiences and background, not just in the academic side, but their um, athletic backgrounds and those experiences manifest themselves. Um, I believe in the first you know, couple of years of teaching before they are really indoctrinated or learn and connect with uh, a models based practice. Some PE teachers come from a really competitive background and and really are often skeptical in creating a safe climate in PE emotionally and physically. And because of that, they revert back to their competitive experiences and that manifests itself often negatively, um, especially in in an urban setting. So, force for peace certainly cultivated a, a more, we always go back to meaningful, Physical education, uh, a meaningful relationship of, of all different backgrounds and ability to levels. So certainly something to consider and, and think about and um, in my own practice. I don't know if you
0: have had the chance to listen to Andy Vasily's conversation with David Kirk, but um, I can hi- I can hardly recommend it. A very, you know, it's a very good chat. Um, and David's main home point is that we shouldn't lose the physical. We shouldn't. We shouldn't lose the that. But sometimes it can be in the background. It doesn't have to always be foregrounded, and that requires different approaches to foreground and background and move around the focus of what it is that we're looking at, um, and choosing specific pedagogical approaches to deal with with what's happening. You know, but it's what's happening over time. You know, we've talked on this blog, on this podcast before about we have kids in our care for five to seven years or longer with different school environments across the whole. Pre- you know, so we ca- we seem to think that we have we see time as being very modular and very short, when in fact it it's actually much longer. One of the challenges is you know reconsidering what the the limitations of the timetable are in terms of what you can do in that space but again it's changing being flexible with what it means to be successful in p doesn't mean that we lose the physical doesn't mean that we lose that kind of well that focus It, it you know it just means that we don't only value that so i think it i think it's important to remember that the highly skilled players as referring to here do have a massive contribution to play and they sh- they are perfectly entitled to, and should be allowed to learn and develop, but they're learning in other areas may be more significant than they're learning in the, in the, in the, um, you know, the physical domain and, and therefore they sh- that should be seen as viable development and learning itself.
2: Agreed Ash. And, you know, Dr. Kirk in that podcast also speaks a little bit to the, uh just the structure of PE and how right now it, it it creates the conditions for multi activity to flourish as a result. So I I was particularly enamored by that as well. And then, you know, back to Michael's point, and it was something that I'm not so sure I did a good job of explaining earlier today, but teachers themselves who have experienced success in PE from a highly competitive standpoint are skeptical, and I think that's what Michael's trying to say, are skeptical as well of creating these safe spaces or places because of their background, their acculturation into the profession. And isn't that what, when we think about social justice issues, isn't that what it's all about? It's about power, right? Who has the power and who does not have the power? And I think this
1: speaks to this a little bit. I I certainly think one thing that that we did not, um, you know, touch on yet, and and Clancy is certainly uh, dead on because um, your experiences and and background shape your ideals and and values and also your biases as well at the same time and and, and how you construct uh, your curriculum. And so having an open mind to, the research and best practices is really critical in developing your journey as a professional. And that's something that, that I've taken significant value in. I think one of the things that, again, that, that this paper really highlighted in an urban specific environment is conflict resolution and, and disengagement. Oftentimes in urban settings, more specifically, teachers want control specifically so that, not not that they can engage students, but so they don't have conflicts arise within their domain. And so this sport for peace paper, As other research has suggested. Is going through a Co construction of. Pedagogy with with students where they are directly involved in. Implementing a successful environment. And. Understanding and being proactive. In knowing when to, as the professional, as the teacher, knowing when to step in during a disagreement and a conflict and have that conversation. And on the flip side, knowing when a disagreement or a conversation can be facilitated and solved organically by peers is something that professionals need to develop in their own voice. And so the conflict resolution piece for Sport for Peace, um, you know, that's in the name, Peace, is something that can not only create this trust, but the students can really be enabled and empowered to solve their own issues sometimes, and not to say that the teacher has no role in that, but uh, this certainly. With this sport education hybrid model had an impact on the conflict resolution piece that that takes place in competitive um, environments. Yeah, thanks Michael. I
0: just I'm just aware of time, so I think I think that kind of conflict resolution is 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 experienced in different ways by lots of teachers and I hear schools talk about having no behavioral problems but there is an infrastructure in place that that helps that and facilitates that there's an expectation there's an acculturation into the school environment and you behave in a certain in a certain way um Alex and I have talked about it previously, or I was talking to, I think it was Alex and I, but you can see when kids play rugby, they're very respectful and uh, very, and then suddenly they change sports to football or soccer and, you know, the way they, the same kids could be very different because there is a, there is a learned way of behaving within those activities and um, even within the same school. So I think we can create those environments. Um, and sometimes the, the conflict resolution is is achieved through the structures in the school, and sometimes it's achieved through the interactions with the young people, and anywhere in that scale, I guess, in terms of, of what's happening at home and expectations and and the problem, you know, the the broader environment, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're coming to the end. So any any sort of concluding thoughts, starting with Alex Glancy and Michael, and then I'll. Press stop, I think. Um,
3: With regards to the model, uh, there are always competing things I think that teachers need to be managing within their class. I think this goes back to the um, uh, Kennedy paper that we talked about uh, uh, passing teaching. So there's one point in the actual paper where the teacher um, talks about taking a chance of moving away from two balls for the whole class for soccer and allowing all the children and it, for for the teacher there was going to be behavior management problems because there was going to be so many balls but actually within the structure of the model and and the and the con, uh, conflict resolution there is a structure in place for behavior management that is a slightly different way of managing behavior it's not just structure and making sure that all the children are safe it's creating an environment where they actually start taking responsibility for each other's safety Uh, and I I would recommend for teachers to perhaps um, take a chance slowly with some of these models and some of the tensions that are there just just go with it and and explore it, um, and you might be pleasantly surprised about what comes out of it because children always do surprise you with what they can manage and do if you give them the chance.
2: Thanks, Alex. I uh, I'll add to that, and you know, Michael is uh, a PE teacher in Buffalo Public Schools, Canisius College, where I'm, uh, you know, a faculty member of. Uh, in the PE program, we're in Buffalo Public School. We're in Buffalo. Uh, you know, the our nearest district is Buffalo Public Schools. Buffalo Public Schools is the second largest urban school district in the state of New York, only second to New York City itself. My wife is a PE teacher in Buffalo Public Schools. So, um, you know, Ash mentioned foreground and background from Dr. Kirk. Uh, I can speak to Buffalo public schools and urban schools uh, in this area that perhaps conflict resolution, perhaps effective domain principles, perhaps the idea that Dr. Ennis had in 1999 about student violence and reduction of profanity and physical and mental abuse. Those are issues that should be at the foreground in education in Buffalo public schools, whether it's physical education or other disciplines. So. Uh, Like Alex mentioned, put those, give give students a chance and we will be surprised. But at the same time, recognize that physical doesn't have to be at the foreground. It's always there. And we now have to try to think about context. And in this case, in Buffalo, we have to think about what our children need and how we can, again, engage them in, through, and about movement. That's all I've got.
1: Powerful words, words, Clancy, powerful words indeed. Um, you know, as a, a Buffalo public school teacher myself, certainly taking this research and and trying to act upon it as a physical educator as, as best I can to try and, and enact social change. And um, certainly I have seen some of the um, challenges that that come with uh, an urban district. And. I am more than willing to be in those trenches and 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 fight for. um, The success and the achievement of of the students that I teach and putting the respect and the character traits at at the foreground certainly is something that. is going to be a challenge for me, but is. A worthy noble cause, I believe, so that students can not only achieve well in, in my dis- in my domain, um, achieve well in other domains, uh, take school um, a little bit more uh, as a part of their um, upbringing so that they can make a positive contributions in the community and I can stretch them beyond uh, the classroom. Yeah, thanks, everyone. I mean, I think, you know, key key cap key to take
0: home for me there are, you know, that we have a collective responsibility as as educators in schools, in districts, in in universities to um, support young people to be to develop and and to have the best prospects that they can. And sometimes that's through physical movement and sometimes that through um, interaction and and and. resilience and and knowledge and understanding And, and i think physical education has much more to do than just the physical um although that is the medium through which we um we thrive and operate i guess and that's where our discussions ended i'd like to thank michael alex and clancy for lending their thoughts to our discussion thanks for listening stay safe and hopefully you'll choose to catch up with us next time when we talk about social and emotional learning